This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. This week's guest is Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Grains Council's Tom Slate next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With over 95% of the world's population living outside the borders of the U.S., U.S. Grains Council President and CEO Tom Slate says global markets are critical to the U.S. feed grain industry. Following their summer meeting last week, Slate says his members are upbeat about the marketplace, but challenged by comments from the campaign. Jeff, I think they're really confused about the messages they keep hearing on trade and the anti-trade talk coming from both sides of the campaigns. Um, and it's something that they're trying to figure out how best that they can connect with uh, and tell their story because they're pretty positive on this and they see as trade as being part of their a big part of their future, particularly for this big crop they're bringing in right now. If we look at the scope of the industry of U.S. agriculture, how important is access to global markets? Well, I put it pretty simply, Jeff. I just recalculated the figures because it's a you know you have to keep calculating. Ninety-five point seven percent of the world's population lives outside of the borders of the United States. If you're producing a food product or a feed product or a fuel product or a fiber product, you need to be producing for population. That population is outside of the United States. Trade again is a big part of the you know the, our constituency. It's a big part of their future. They see it. They support it. And they just, again, get confused by why is uh, the message on trade, particularly on the agricultural side, getting so muddled today. Trade agreements are taking some tremendous hits from two popular candidates. Is it really trade agreements that deserve the blame, or is it globalization? I, I think it's you know globalization uh, gets, gets part of it. I think it's trade versus exports. You know, that's part of it. I think people, they see people get displaced. Uh, by job, particularly industries, you know, for instance, coal or steel or aluminum. And they don't understand, they, and, and trade gets easily uh, blamed for that uh, loss in, in, in jobs. When really, uh, there's far more jobs lost to technology than there is to trade, and trade is a job producer in terms of, you know, people that handle imported products coming in the United States and certainly for the large agricultural uh, infrastructure that handles uh, exporting uh, a very aggressive load. I have heard some suggest that trade agreements are a way to to stem the tide of perhaps the negative effects of globalization, where you are able to negotiate so that you're not so overwhelmed. 
Yeah, it, precisely, Jeff. It's, it's a way to gain access to markets while also protecting the interest of the producers and, and citizens in the United States. And it's been that way, uh, and, and trade is, is important for civilizations, not just countries, for civilizations. And I, so, so I think that that topic, that, that notion has to carry forward. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing in terms of income. It's a positive thing in terms of jobs. It's a positive thing in terms of investment. And I think that's getting lost in this dialogue about trade agreements, uh, renegotiating trade agreements, all this sort of stuff. It's really not something we want to do. We want to be negotiating more trade agreements, not pulling away from them. So when we think about, let's call the North American Free Trade Agreement, what role has that particular signed document played in our relationship with Canada and our relationship with Mexico as it pertains to agriculture even today. It's been a huge positive for agriculture, NAFTA has. The the, the statistics are there in terms of increased trade uh, before NAFTA and after NAFTA. Tremendous positive. Canada and Mexico are always right at the top two or three of of our largest agricultural trade partners, and it's a very robust relationship. I remember our director said that he thought that the initial impact of NAFTA might be 3 million tons of corn. Well, it turned out to be 10 million tons of corn uh, in the long run. And so that's tremendous, uh, some tremendous success. And even now, as Mexico develops, and one of the brighter spots for the U.S. Grains Council is that of value-added and ethanol. Yeah, it is. We, you know, Jeff, we're, we're continuing to work around the world uh, uh, targeting ethanol markets. There are very clear markets where it's a major win-win for both uh, U.S. and the country in terms of, you know, pollution abatement or, or octane enhancement, things like that. Mexico is part of that mix. Uh, Mexico and Latin America in general are huge uh, areas of interest for U.S. agricultural producers, particularly for feed grain producers, uh, corn, sorghum, barley. They all have key interests in Mexico. We haven't begun to, to tap the demand in Mexico. You work in developing markets, period. But you work in countries where we have trade agreements and in countries where we don't. Where are you more effective? I think what the U.S. Grains Council looked like is that we work where the markets do not. We're, we are there to try to build the markets of tomorrow. And so, yes, I mean, we do more, we do a lot of work in our current markets. That's part of our normal activities. But we also look where, where does the market not work? And let's, let's make sure we're building today's markets, maintaining the markets, tomorrow's markets, places like, you know, Cuba, Myanmar, uh, even, even the Middle East, uh, parts of the Middle East are, are huge areas of growth for both population and per capita income growth. It's where we need to be looking forward. Sub-Saharan Africa is another one we heard about at our meeting here. Uh, so there's a lot of positive things going out there in terms of global growth. But the U.S. Grains Council likes to be ahead of the market so that that market be built for American producers. From the consuming public and from the competition of producers, how is this world changing from where it was five years ago or, or ten years ago, Tom? Well, certainly, uh, you know, Jeff, we're, we're a lot closer, uh, both technologically, communication-wise. And I always have felt, I've seen this throughout my career, where communication and relations and trade relations between countries build security, build understanding, build a more secure world uh, in terms of food security, in terms of global security. We've seen that happen time and time again. Early in my career, East Germany, the Soviet Union, Vietnam, uh, even China, you know, where we have those dialogues begin on communication and trade. We get into a new level of understanding, better understanding between our countries, more uh, global security, 
very much of a key benefit of trade of strong trade relations. Let's talk about hotbeds of growth. I mean, obviously China's in the in, in the mix, but but where are the places now in the globe, especially as we look at that middle class that you see as opportunity, both in the short run and in the long run. Well, Jeff, we always start off with looking at uh, our own backyard, Latin America, particularly Caribbean Basin, Central America, uh, South America, Colombia, Peru, Mexico. We've talked about that already, mm-hmm. but also you know places like. Uh, Again, Iran. We've had we've had a lot of talk with folks from Iran. We've we've talked to them more in the past year than we have in the previous twenty, uh, where there's growth there. Uh, that's that's kind of intriguing right now, and I think that's coming on uh, in the future. Southeast Asia is a very strong uh, bed of demand, in particularly places like Vietnam, Indonesia. We've got a couple of pr- trade problems right now. We're working through, but they're still very positive indicators for growth. Uh, and, and again, uh, even places like Myanmar that's, that started to come out of a isolationist uh, vein opening up to the world, there's even you know some, some trade trickling in there. And one of the big ones on, on, the, on our radar screen is India in terms of, again, population growth, per capita income growth. Uh, there's a lot of you know, barriers to working in that country, but a lot of positives. They're starting to come into the ec- import market now for, for grain and for soybean products. Um, we, we see a lot of positives there. For today and for tomorrow, what makes the other 11 members of the TPP so desirable, especially from the agriculture perspective? Well, clearly it's having you know uh, access, market access. Uh, for us, uh, for the United States, it's great for us in terms of uh, uh, the, the phytosanitary and sanitary agreements they have in there uh, for uh, TPP. Um, for us, it is... Uh, Southeast Asia, particularly Vietnam, is a big plus. For the other countries, obviously it's access to the U.S. market. That's important in any trade agreement. And again, they, they see, see growth there, but we see the, the same growth. And having, you know, for the United States to be more active in these trade agreements than less active, we're not a big player in these trade agreements. We need to be more, more so. The TPP brings us into a key part of the world. Uh, and makes us build on current trade agreements, particularly with Canada and Mexico. Um, some of our biggest customers are wanting to join this agreement as well. Colombia, South Korea, Taiwan, Indonesia, others. Um, so everybody wants to get into a more level playing field, fairer trade, and let's compete. Let's give pause and look specifically at Vietnam. Why is that country so ripe? I think what we've seen over the years, and I've seen it myself, is that Vietnam is, a, again, for 70, 80 years now, they've been uh, sort of withdrawn from the world community. They've recognized that. They recognized that about 10, 15, 20 years ago where they saw that they were falling behind their neighbors, the other Asian tigers, quote-unquote, and they knew that they had to make changes in opening up their markets for trade, uh, get greater access to goods to improve the standard of living for their their citizens, and they're doing that. It's the fastest-growing feed market in the world right now, something that we're very concerned about. And I think Vietnam, that's where you see it. They're trying to, you know, again, be, become a greater part of the world community because they need to grow as a country, they need to grow as a civilization. So let's look at opportunity in terms of the consumer base. What is the consumer calling for now, and how is that perhaps showing a paradigm shift of the Grains Council, where at one time we would have really just thinking about bulk commodities, 
now because of the demand of that middle class, you're you're broadening your borders a bit. We are broadening our borders. Obviously, you know, eating better is a, is right at the top of the list. But in places like, uh, for instance, in China and India, where you know pollution is a real concern, they want to they want to have better lives and turning breathing better. They want to have take positive steps, particularly India, where they have really serious problems with air pollution. They want to take positive steps towards uh, you know mitigating the air pollution, improving the, the the air for their citizens, living better, living more secure, having better food, more uh, a more globally secure food uh, uh, trading base. And uh, just obviously, you know, making sure their citizens are enjoying the type of, uh, of, of benefits the rest of the world does. So it's one thing if we sell more corn to China so they can grow their livestock herd, or we just feed more livestock in the U.S. and sell them meat. That's a value added. It's still a win for grains. It is. And whether the U.S. Grains Council looks at it, we see grain in all forms. We like to look at feed grain in all forms. How does that, that, that work, whether it's meat? Whether it's uh, fuel, whether it's uh, starch, whether it's bulk commodity grain, we want to see that growth happen anywhere in the world. We don't care how it happens, but grain and uh, feed grain in all form is very important to us as an organization. All of the folks that work around the world for the U.S. Grains Council are focused on that. What can they do to benefit U.S. agriculture, be that meat, be that grain, be that ethanol, be that DDGs, be that starch, be that whatever? When we think about demand for corn from ethanol, the U.S. is one market. Would you call that a mature market, and are there other places where you see the opportunity to grow? Well, I think there's a lot of things going on in the U.S. market. To, to, you, know, the, the, you know, Growth has, has slowed down in the ethanol market for sure, but it's still growing, uh, and that's very key. The rest of the world, though, I think we see a lot of more shorter-term benefit in terms of countries that haven't really looked at the benefits of ethanol. And I think right now, a lot of our folks are saying, let's focus on the international market. I think that's where we can gain some short-term bump to this market while things develop in the United States. We're focusing, U.S. Grains Council is focusing on the export side. We have a lot of good folks who are focusing on the domestic side. Together, they want to see, you know, ethanol start to, you know, pick up again in terms of, you know, grind of corn, in terms of overall production and to feed both the United States and a growing export market. And we think there's some good possibilities, uh, particularly, uh, you know, right now Japan looks particularly promising. Mexico does. India has some real strong positives there. Places like the Philippines, Peru, uh, China is importing a lot of ethanol now. There's a lot of, of, of things happening, and we only need to hit, you know, in a couple of those markets to really make a difference for both corn producers and ethanol producers. From a ballpark, what's realistic in terms of increased corn demand to satisfy some of those opportunities uh, as low-hanging fruit, if we could categorize? Well, I think that, you know, we're looking at our goal is another 2.8 billion gallons of ethanol, and you have to do the math on how many bushels of corn that is. And But, you know, it's a significant. I think it's like 20 million tons of corn if we can start reaching those kinds of goals uh, of, uh, of global ethanol uh, consumption. I remember some leaders of agriculture when we were in the GATT, and now the WTO, and it's been said more than once, we'd rather have no agreement than a bad agreement. Is that really any different than what you're hearing from some of the candidates today? Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, I think you just trade is not a spectator sport. You have to be out there and work these agreements and get the, be diligent and get the agreement that worked for both sides, and that takes a lot of work. 
And sure, walking away from a, a, a deal is an important part of, of trade negotiation. It's an important part of any kind of transaction. And sure, you have to take a look at that. But uh, you know, failure to move forward is is meaning that we will we will uh, fall behind for sure on trade globally. Describe the objective of the U.S. Grains Council if there is a multilateral TPP agreement. Is it a catalyst for the work that you're doing now? You got to remember, you know, agreements, trade agreements are just agreements, and a lot of the work, big part of the work, comes from implementing those agreements. Yeah, you can create the structure, but now you have to create the market, and so that's what we look to do. Once we get that, you know, access that level playing field that a lot of American producers can compete very well in, then we have to look at trying to build the actual market that makes those sales happen. That's the important part. If this agreement, ha- you know, comes to place, sure, we're going to continue to work in all these countries, whether it's a TPP or not. If there's a TPP, we have greater access. Uh, uh, particularly in places like Vietnam, I talked about already, but also you know the the conversation uh, about ethanol in Japan changes not because uh, t- ethanol is part of TPP, but because we have a stronger relationship as countries through TPP. Uh, Japan is 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 me- very interested to continue to talk to the United States, gives us a bit of a, a negotiating advantage. So if the U.S. steps away and says no, how does that change your plot? It kind of makes us uh, look at, you know, that we cannot, that the U.S. is not interested in trade. Uh, and it makes us, it's going to make a lot more hard work for us, but it's fine, we'll do it. I mean, that's what we're, we're uh, engaged to do. Uh, but it, it gives us, it makes it a lot more difficult because it sends a message around the world that we, we're not serious about trade, trade negotiations. And that's not what we want to be doing right now, particularly at price levels we're seeing for, for commodities. Plenty of discussion about the effectiveness of checkoff programs. Is, is the return on the investment the only way to evaluate? And if that is the only way to evaluate, how are you doing? I think we're doing fine. There was just a study that was just completed uh, about a week ago. Uh, it was released uh, through the Foreign Agricultural Service uh, that shows a 24 to 1 uh, you know, return on investment for into the programs that we work with, the market access program, the foreign market development program. But it goes beyond that because, you know, cost-benefit ratios or benefit-cost ratios, whatever your preference is, only tell part of the story. We're trying to tell that story now in terms of impact on price, 15% increased price through, the, through export promotion programs, impact on jobs, both, the, you know, in the countryside and, at, and at the, uh, in, within the infrastructure. There's a job impact, there's a positive job impact, there's a positive price impact, there's a positive, very positive uh, benefit-cost ratio. It's actually one of the, one of our, the researchers said uh, it looks like we should be investing more in these kinds of efforts because they're paying off better as, as an economic development tool, not just a market development tool. Why is it important that a portion of those funds still come from Washington and through government? It's a great... Jeff, it's always been a great public-private partnership. It helps us compete. Other countries, you know, help uh, their their uh, sectors compete and trade. Uh, it's a perfect public partnership that's been going on uh, since the 1960s, even 1950s, uh, and it, it helps us extend. If the if a sector is willing to invest in their own future. The U.S. Uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture wants to be a partner in that, and again, it helps extend our influence and meet our competition. You have a triad of resources that come together from industry, from farmers, and from government. 
what message does that send to the customer you're trying to grow? That we're serious about trade. Um, and, you know, that's the important thing that particularly like long-term customers like Japan, they want to know that the U.S. farmer is going to be there for them and that, the, that they can count on that to, again, provide them a safe supply of food. And so they're very interested to see that, that industry come together. Uh, when you have agribusiness and, and the grain trade and the seed trade and, and implements uh, uh, makers and other you know, farm services come together into a unified effort to connect with and expand trade with the country, it sends a very important message that the U.S. is serious about this relationship and they want to see it expand. Tom, do you see signs, whether from government or from industry movement and consolidation, that might suggest that the acceptance of new technologies and, and crop traits might become easier, or will it just continue to be an uphill climb? Yes. <laughs> I don't mean to be funny or, or, or flip about that, but you, 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 can, you can see both, Jeff. I mean, I think... You know, it can become easier. I think the recent legislation, you know, helps. It helps the dialogue overseas because they want to see how the U.S. treats these sort of things. And so it helps create a pathway for understanding overseas. That's what we need. We need to continually engage with our customers because they're asking the same questions overseas as they are here in the United States. So how we do it here helps gain greater access. But it's also, you know, it continues to be a tough uphill climb. And it, we, we have to start, we're winning the battle on facts. We have to win the battle on emotion. That's the important thing. And talk about those kinds of things, those positive uh, consumer type, you know, benefits from the, the technology, particularly in terms of uh, less pesticide, greater, you know, efficiency and water use and things like that. <laughs> that, we have to talk about it in a passionate way. Thomas Lee, we want to thank you for spending time with us on Open Mic. It's Open Mic, and, sir, you have an open forum. Well, Jeff, it's always great to, to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I think, again, we have a great opportunity right now, right now in terms of this summer and this fall, for agriculture to talk positively about what trade brings to them, the importance of trade. Those voices need to be heard, and you need to be heard now. Our thanks to Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc., CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Downey.